So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with a humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The word of the Lord. Now this, <clears throat> this morning... Our passage is concerned with leadership, and unlike the previous two passages we looked at in the last two weeks, it contains no exegetical puzzles or controversial verses. So you're welcome. Get a little break from, from some of the nuanced interpretation I tried to offer to you before. By the way, I was talking to Calvin last night at the Thanksgiving dinner, and, and I, I told Calvin I'm going to do Second Peter next in January and February. And... Uh, and Calvin said, well, yeah, there's some, some passages in Second Peter that are hard. And that, it struck me that Peter complained about Paul, right? Being confusing. He was saying some of, the, some of the Paul's letters, you know, not everybody can understand. But I wonder how much of that was just deflecting from his own, some of, some of his own lack of clarity in some of, some of these passages. So, well, we'll deal with Second Peter when it comes. But today, no controversy, very clear passage on leadership. Of course, uh, it's, it's a passage on humility, so it's easy to understand, but it is very difficult to practice. This humility for leaders and for followers, according to Peter, according to Scripture, is essential for standing firm in the true grace of God. And we've talked about submission and humility a lot already. It's a theme throughout this epistle. But today, it's applied to leadership in the church. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to first consider the metaphor that Peter is using, which is the metaphor of sheep and shepherds. Secondly, I'd like us to consider how we can practice what Peter teaches by using this metaphor. So the metaphor, secondly, the practice, and finally, I'd like us to consider the shepherd to whom we belong. So the metaphor, the practice, and the shepherd are three points. Now, anyone who is even superficially familiar with Scripture knows that it often compares people to sheep. Are you familiar with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? It's a very familiar passage of Scripture, but all over the Bible, in every major section of the Bible, there are, there are comparisons and metaphors of sheep and shepherds and being guided and being lost so when Peter talks about sheep and shepherds and calling us the flock of God, he is drawing on a rich metaphor that is used throughout the Bible. Now, I don't know how what you imagine yourself as if you were to put yourself in the animal kingdom. Maybe some of us think of ourselves as eagles soaring just beneath the clouds or ants pulling together to build something great, or lions ruling over the animal kingdom with their roar, or maybe a wolverine. I don't know what you imagine yourself to be. But according to the Bible, 
With its characteristic honesty, humanity is like a flock of sheep. That's the metaphor. We are like sheep, not tenacious wolverines, right? Not the majestic eagles. No, no, we're sheep. One writer uh, describes what he felt when he purchased his first flock of sheep. He says, the day I bought them, I also realized that this was but the first stage in a long-lasting endeavor in which from then on I would, as their owner, have to continually lay down my life for them if they were to flourish and prosper. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock endless attention and meticulous care. It is no accident, he goes on to say, that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind or mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. Scripture is right to describe the world as sheep without a shepherd. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Without God, we are just sheep roaming around without guidance, looking for nourishment and clean water, in constant danger of predators, fighting disease, hurting one another. It's hard to imagine a more fitting metaphor for the human condition. Sheep without a shepherd. Now, the current state of Western culture does not lack examples of lostness, disease, and danger. As a preacher, I try to find examples. I try to find illustrations. You try to think of something to to connect the world of the Bible to today's world. And let me tell you that in this case, it's very easy to do. Very easy. Our sheep-like determination to go our own way combined with our inability to navigate lands, puts us in some utterly absurd places, which, of course, we justify as the next phase of human advancement and enlightenment. I'd like to share just one example this morning. It's the practice of sologamy. Have you heard of sologamy? It's S-O-L-O-G-A-M-Y. Sologamy is, is a new trend that's catching fire. In Europe, maybe here now, I'm not sure. I really hope it doesn't stick, but it might. Sologamy is marriage by a person to themselves. Now, it's a real thing. You laugh, but it's a real thing. Um, BBC recently did a video about sologamy featuring a woman who has been happily married to herself for 11 years and then decided to renew her wedding vows. During the ceremony, she promised to listen to herself, to ask herself every day what it is that she needs, to provide what she needs, to refuse to look outside for what she already has inside, for what she already is. Now, I will tell you, I don't need a ceremony to make these vows to myself. Those are natural default settings of the human sinful heart. I don't need to promise to please myself. I just do that kind of sinfully, naturally. 
And it may be hard to take something like sologamy seriously because it feels so absurd. But it's just one example of how deeply many of us misunderstand who we are and how deeply we misunderstand what we need to flourish. That's an example. But our world and our culture is full of examples of sheep wandering without a shepherd, go in any direction we want to go, finding ways to justify it, claiming that this is the right direction, I don't need anybody, I can figure it out, and we end up marrying ourselves. Now, someone might object to this metaphor of humanity as sheep without a shepherd by pointing out the abundance of human leaders. Don't we have leaders? Aren't we sheep with shepherds? Don't we have others that guide us and protect us and help us? Do we not have people who lead us in the way of progress and prosperity? Well, I just participated in my first election here in America, so you're welcome. Um, I became a citizen a year ago in the summer, and this was my first time to, to really do my duty and do my responsibility, which I took very seriously. I try to research all the candidates. I ask for advice from knowledgeable people. Um, I was not looking for perfect candidates. I know that doesn't exist. Um, I was just looking for people of character and conviction. I was ready to support those who stand for something good and don't change their views in pursuit of their political ambitions. That was my standard. This is what I figured I could, I could do as a voter. I found my task to be very difficult and candidates of character and conviction very rare. I probably would have settled just for people of sincerity. It's difficult, isn't it? Now I know I'm a newcomer to your political process, but I don't think it's different in other places, really. It's worse, I think, in certain places I know. So why is it that we say we need leaders, we have standards for leaders, and all of us are constantly frustrated with the kind of leadership we receive or provide? Now, perhaps in the church, we might get better quality of leadership. While here, are, there are many humble, faithful leaders in the church, that's true. And I think, in general, yes, on the whole, you get better leadership in the church. But it's mostly invisible leadership. What is visible is often lacking in quality. By observing the recent string of scandals involving high-profile pastors, we would conclude that the church is not any better. Now, it is. It is. But demonstrably, when you, when you look at things, you, and of course we catch the worst of us on the news, it's not hard to conclude that we're also struggling with leadership in the church. The prophetic message of Ezekiel seems as relevant today as it was in the time of Judah's spiritual and moral decline. It applies to leaders in the secular and the religious spheres alike. Let me read what Ezekiel said, Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 2. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves? Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, 
The strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. That sounds very contemporary, very relevant to us today, both to our culture and to the church. And in verse 11 and in verse 12, God promises something. He says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. This promise that God himself would come and shepherd his people has been fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, our great shepherd, and in the establishment of the church as the flock of God. So what Peter describes in our passage when Peter describes how leadership is to be exercised in the church under the guidance of Christ, that it's patterned after Christ's own shepherding, it's this kind of humble leadership that provides correction to the part of the church that suffers under bad shepherds today. And it's this kind of humble leadership that also points the world to the great shepherd all people need. So let's consider the practice of humble, Christ-like leadership. How does this metaphor, how can we put that into practice? Verse 1, Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Even before Peter explains what true leadership in the church looks like, he models it himself. Look at his humility. Peter addresses the local elders, so these are pastors, lay elders of churches, specific congregations, these tiny groups of people in Asia Minor. And Peter speaks to them, and he addresses the local elders as their fellow elder. He doesn't speak to them as one of the leaders of the global church. The great apostle Peter, the rock of the Christian movement. But as another pastor, another elder. Now Peter deliberately here, deliberately gives up power as a prominent apostle. And addresses the elders of local churches as their equal. I think this is very significant. Peter is an example for those he calls to be an example of humility in their own churches. So even as he tells them to model it, he models it. He doesn't come in with apostolic authority and says, well, you guys need to be humble. You need to model this kind of Christ-like humility. But I am the bishop. I am the shepherd over all the shepherds. He doesn't do that. Even though he has that authority in some ways. He has that reputation. And yet he comes in as a fellow elder. Now, where does such humility come from? Why does he lower himself as he speaks to these elders? Well, Peter says he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He saw Jesus 
the great shepherd suffer for his sheep and give his life to save them. Peter witnessed Jesus' humility taken to its extreme expression on the cross. This is where his humility comes from. As he teaches the other elders to be like Jesus, he remembers what Jesus was like. He says, I've witnessed his humility. I've witnessed his sufferings. I've witnessed what a good shepherd does. And a good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. While Peter certainly witnessed Christ's sufferings, there's something else here, something that's implied, something that everybody in the church knew. Peter also failed to witness to Christ during the Lord's sufferings. It is Peter who denied the Lord three times when Jesus was suffering. Same Peter. After the resurrection, Jesus graciously restored Peter, not just to the relationship with himself, but also to the leadership in the church. Matching Peter's triple denial is Jesus' triple command to Peter to take care and feed his sheep, the church. It's this deep experience of restoration by Christ's grace that gives Peter his humility. It's this deep experience of restoration by the Savior who who took his sins, Peter's sins, his betrayal, his failures upon himself and made the proud and arrogant Peter a humble leader in the church. I wonder if you are a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Do you know that he suffered for you? That he took your betrayal, your failure, your refusal to follow him, your refusal to acknowledge him. Do you know how deep his love is for you? Because that is the basis of your humility. How can I be arrogant in my own heart and exalt myself if I know that Jesus died for me? If I know that he died for me before I loved him? Like Peter denying him for much of my life. Peter also identifies himself as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. In other words, what he's saying is, it's okay to be humble in light of unimaginable glory that has come into us when Jesus returns. For any Christian leader, there are dual realities of Christ suffered for me, so I am humble. But also, Christ is offering so much glory for me that it's okay to give up some of it now. I don't need all of it right now. I hardly need any of it now because of what I know is coming to me. Look at verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus. When Jesus appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Unfading crown of glory. Now, the athletes of the time would receive crowns with leaves and flowers that would fade eventually. But Peter says, you will get a crown that will never fade, the kind of glory that doesn't change, that will always be with you, this eternal glory that will be given to you by Jesus. So he tells his fellow elders, and by extension to all Christians, you don't have to look for thrones and crowns now. Don't try to exalt yourself over others now. You can serve. You can put the interests of others above your own. You can sacrifice your own position and your own reputation now. Why? 
Because there is an unfading crown of glory waiting for you. You're not losing anything. You're not missing anything when you submit yourself to others, when you serve others in humility. You're going to get all the glory you can handle one day. There's really no need to chase it now. It's okay to serve others. I don't need to establish myself. I don't need to exalt myself. Jesus will do that. Now in verses 2 and 3, we see the description of this humble leadership of elders. Now Peter doesn't give us a list of responsibilities of elders. It's interesting that he's not telling us what the elders do, per se. Instead, he describes the quality of their leadership. So when you think about the elders at Chatham, Clifton Berry and Josh Cora and Josh Govier and Dave Greiner and Kevin Hartman and myself, when you think of us, this is the standard we must submit to. As your elders, this is our standard of humility. This is a description of what we are to be for you. This is what you should expect from us. This is the kind of leaders we want to be. By God's grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what we want. Now, I want to challenge many of you to pursue this kind of leadership, this kind of humble leadership, whether it's in the church or in the world, in your homes, at, in your communities, at school. But I want to specifically challenge younger men I want to challenge you, younger men in particular, to aspire to eldership, specifically. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 says, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, same office as elder, same office as pastor, it's all the same, same job, he desires a noble task, a noble task. I want you to have this noble ambition. If you're a young man today, Cultivate the kind of character and skills that 1 Timothy 3 describes. And ask the Lord if he wants you to become an elder in his church someday. Now that may not be next year, that may not be in the next decade. But are you willing to be used by God as an elder in the local church? And by the way, there is no more important office to the health of the church than the office of the lay elder. Not the pastors, but the lay elders. That's actually who keeps the church healthy. As you know, pastors come and go, right? Now, I hope to stay here till I die, but <laughs> pastors come and go. But it's the elders. It's that local lay body of leadership that actually keeps the church on course. So would you consider, as a young man, would you consider if this is something the Lord wants you to pursue? Every once in a while, we do eldership training classes. We gather men who are interested, and we talk about eldership. We study, we pray, we talk about character and competency and what it means and, and how, to, how to serve others, all of that, to help grow the next generation, the next harvest of elders here at Chatham. All right, let's work through verses 2 and 3. What does this quality of leadership in the church, this humble leadership, what does it look like? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Man, on a personal level, this is a very important verse for me. I, I realized at one point in my, in my uh, ministry that 
I was trying to shepherd the flock that was somewhere else. <laughs> the flock that was among me, among, among us, was the, the flock that I had, the church that I actually had in Chicago, was, was not the kind of church I wanted, you see. I wanted a cooler church, a hipper church, you know, more cutting edge. Well, so I got Chatham, so all my dreams came true, so <laughs> thank you. But what I realized is that the Lord gives people to specific elders. The Lord places elders over specific people in churches. And this is the responsibility. Biblical eldership, biblical leadership is local and relational. It's about people that are here. An elder is responsible for the people in his church. Not the church at large, not a church down the street, not an imaginary church that may be, but this church, specific church. He's called to shepherd them, to care for them. Now, you need to know that every elder is available to you, to shepherd you, to care for you, to protect you, to counsel you, to pray with you. He's ready to counsel you. He's ready to comfort you. He's ready to correct you. We practice this kind of hands-on spiritual leadership at Chatham. Our elders are not distant. They're not just there praying for you in pastoral prayer. That's just for you to see who they are, to know their hearts. But they spend time. We spend time with people. Because the kind of leadership that Peter portrays here is a hands-on, local, relational leadership. Now we go on. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Elders are to serve because they want to serve. They feel this internal desire and calling to serve and care for the church. They are to serve according to God's will and not according to the standards of the world. This is what I think Peter means. As God would have you, not as the world would have you, but as God would have you. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 25 and following, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Jesus says, It shall not be so among you. Don't follow the world as leaders. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. According to God's pattern, according to Christ's own example, elders are to sacrifice themselves for the benefit of the people, to serve them, not themselves, but to serve the people, to make their people great and not seek their own greatness. Again, we see humility emphasized as the key quality of Christian leadership. How different is it in the world? Nobody wants a humble leader in the world. You want a self-confident, arrogant person who can get things done. That's what we want in our leaders. But in the church, according to Christ's authority, we want humble leaders who will sacrifice themselves, who will serve others, who will not lord over others. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, while some elders are employed by the church, I am one, you pay me money. That's a biblical practice. There's nothing wrong with that. But none of us, whether we are lay or employed by the church, none of us are to see 
our ministry as, as a job to make money or as a job to have influence or as a job to lord over others. As one commentator put it, the proper attitude of an elder is an eagerness to give, not a desire to get. It's an eagerness to give, not a desire to get. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. To be an example is to be a pattern, to be a type for people to follow of the kind of person Jesus wants us to be. So every elder must be a pattern, an example for people to follow. Elders are not to force the people to conform to their own ideas or their own agenda, but to be an example of a person conformed to the ideas of Jesus. That's the qualification. So what should be the people's response to this kind of leadership, this kind of humble, Christ-like, self-sacrificing, not domineering leadership? Verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Be subject to the elders. Now, notice the likewise. We've already seen this word in 1 Peter 3, verse 1 and verse 7 when we talked about husbands and wives. Here it is again. Likewise. Now, the point is that as husbands lead in humility and serve their wives by leading them, wives submit in humility and also serve their husbands. It's likewise. This is the same humility on either side in every role. Likewise, elders lead the people in humility and serve them by leading them, and the people submit to their elders in humility and follow them, as sheep follow good shepherds. So just as husbands and wives exercise Christ-like humility in their respective roles, elders and people exercise the same kind of Christ-like humility in their respective roles. It's the same humility. It's played out different in different roles, but it's the same humility, it's the same disposition, it's Christ-like humility. And just in case we missed that humility is the main point here, Peter finishes verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride sets us up to oppose God. If I exalt myself, how can I exalt God? But humility connects us to God. It puts us on the same side with God. How can we make sure we get God's grace and support? By being humble. Whatever sorry state a church might find itself in, humility is always the way forward. It's not doubling down on your mistakes. It's not trying to ignore your problems. It's actually humility because God gives grace to the humble. Whatever leadership crisis the evangelical movement might find itself in today, humility is the way forward for us. It has to be because God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. So if we remain proud, some of us, God is not going to support us. He gives grace to the humble. So Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. The idea is that humility is a uniform we wear. Humility is something we all dress up in and when we get together and love each other in humility. Now, you may remember that several weeks ago, many of the men here were tricked 
into wearing the same shirt on Sunday. You may also remember that it took me like six or seven people wearing the same shirt to realize there was a trick here. I'm a clueless man. It's amazing just how, what I don't notice and don't compute in my mind. But this is the idea. We all show up dressed the same way, and we're all wearing humility. And we're all coming with the idea that we will treat each other as more important than ourselves. And we will submit to one another. And we will carry out our specific responsibilities, our specific duties, our specific callings. And they're all different for us, but we all do it in the same spirit of humility. We will all play Jesus for each other. We will all do it in the same way with the same spirit modeled after the same shepherd. Now let's talk about him at the end as we wrap up. I want to make obvious what we see throughout this passage in case by some reason you were falling asleep exactly at the same times when Jesus was mentioned. I want to make clear that he is absolutely in the background of this whole thing. That none of this makes sense unless Jesus is here. Peter's exhortation to humility is impossible without the example, the authority, and the presence of Jesus Christ. He's the chief shepherd, Peter calls him. Meaning that he's the shepherd to whom all human shepherds are accountable. So we as elders, or any kind of leader in the church, any kind of leader in the world, we are all accountable to Jesus. Authority doesn't stop at us, it's delegated. So we're only, we're only practicing it, we're only doing it because Jesus allows us to do that. And he will ask of us what we do with that power and authority, whether it's in the church or in the world. The church is his flock, it's the flock of God. I like that even in this passage, which is very specific, full of application for elders and people in the church, it's still very clear that the church is not the elders' church. It's not the people's church. We're the flock of God. We're His church. We're His people. And He appoints certain people for certain roles, but overall it's His church, and He's in charge. We're His sheep. He bought us. Jesus bought us with His blood. And so He shares His glory with us. And only because of our connection to him that we can find our place in the church and in the world. Jesus models, Jesus motivates, Jesus rewards our humility. We read in Matthew 9 that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Jesus looked and he saw the world and he saw sheep without shepherds. He saw people wandering all sorts of different ways and making up their own narratives. And he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know the compassion of Jesus for you? Do you know what he feels for you? Do you see yourself as Jesus does, a harassed and helpless sheep? And so Jesus became our shepherd. He said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus gave his life for his sheep. So he can love us. So he can lead us. So he can protect us. So he can care for us. So he can provide for us. Isaiah 53 says, 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. When I read it earlier, I just stopped right there. But there's a continuation of the verse. It says, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yes, we're lost. Yes, we're harassed. Yes, we're confused. Yes, we're hurt. Yes, we make stupid decisions. Yes, we hurt each other. That's all true of us. We are like sheep without a shepherd. But then what does the Lord do with us? He takes that, he takes that iniquity, all of that lostness and confusion and sin, all those horrible things we think and do and want, and he places them on Jesus, our shepherd. Wonder of wonders that our shepherd is also our sacrificial lamb. A shepherd who was slaughtered to redeem his sheep. Now, this is the kind of shepherd we have in Jesus, and that is why the church says loudly in Revelation 5, worthy is the lamb. The church sings that as an eternal hymn. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing because he is that kind of shepherd, the shepherd who is a slain lamb for his sheep. A shepherd who gave his life for us and is willing to share his glory with us. So the great shepherd is calling you today. Come and follow me, he says. This is Jesus' call to us. Come and follow me. Now for some of you, this is the first call you get from him. The first summons. And you've been wandering lost. And he finds you and he says, come and follow me. So he finds you and you attach yourself to him. But for many of us, this is a renewed call. We have come to him. We know him as our shepherd. We don't follow him. So follow him. Bring your life in accordance to his guidance. And follow him as your shepherd. Listen to his voice. Know his words. Obey his guidance. Learn to trust his rod and his staff. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light Jesus means that did you know that this is not just rhetoric he means that he means that if you come to him that he will give you rest you will finally know that you belong with him. All the lostness, all the confusion, all the wonderings will dramatically or slowly and progressively dissipate. And you will relax and you will rest and you will say, this is my flock. These are my people and this is my shepherd. And this is how I am meant to live my life. Now, all that is required for us to answer his call to come and follow him is humility. That's all that's required is humility. Humble yourself and receive his grace because he gives grace to the humble. What is faith, what is trust, if not humility before him? I'm saying, I'm going I'm to give up my own shepherding of my own life. That's humility. I'm going to give up my own ideas of where I should go, how I should feed myself, how I should heal myself. And you say, I'm not going to be my own shepherd anymore. 
I'm just going to be a sheep, and I'm going to accept this shepherd, this good shepherd, to guide me, to care for me, to protect me, and to provide for me. I'm not going to marry myself. I'm just going to stick with him and follow the slain lamb and the great shepherd of our souls.